either we are there or not, ITSP Magazine still gets the best stories. There are plenty of conferences and all sorts of events that spark our curiosity and allow us to start conversations with some of the world's brightest minds. In person or virtually, we sit down with them at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Together, we discover what the synergy of these three elements means for the future of humanity. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, everybody. This is Marco Giappelli. Welcome to an episode that is on Redefining Society podcast, but also particularly dedicated to the CES conference that is going to happen very soon in January in Las Vegas, which is what a lot of people call it, the place where you see the future. Now, <laughs> I don't know if there are crystal balls there or time machines, but definitely technology is a way to look at the future. And for me, it's all about the way it fits into the societal uh, structure that we live in. A lot of things going on lately with artificial intelligence, advanced technology. And of course, there is one industry, one sector where technology is really relevant is certainly in the healthcare. So today, I am very happy to have Jesse Herrenfeld on the show. He is the president of the American Medical Association, and he's going to run a panel at CES about enabling the new era of value-based care for digital health. So that's a mouthful, I think. We'll figure <laughs> out what that is. But before we even go any further, I want to welcome Jesse to the show. And so here you are. Welcome um, to the show. Marco, thanks for having me. I'm super excited about uh, CES in January and uh, to have the opportunity to, to talk about how do we get to value-based care using technology, critically important topic for all of medicine and, and all of healthcare, which I think a lot about in my role as leading uh, the American Medical Association. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like a lot of people that follow the show and they are passionate about CES, they they already know. We had a few conversations where we say, you know, CES is not really, as I was joking about the future, it's not about the gadget anymore. It used to be about the radio at the beginning, <laughs> and then it grows with technology. Now we're really looking at the intersection with society. So let's start with defining what is the value-based care model. Yeah, it's an important place to start. So value-based care is a term that really describes healthcare that is designed to focus on the quality of care, the performance of the people delivering the care, and the patient experience. And, and, and that word value in the phrase value-based care really refers to what the individual patient values the most. And as we, we think about how do we elevate quality, elevate performance efficiency, uh, prioritize what patients want, there is no way we can do this without embracing technology, embracing digital health tools, thinking about leveraging the power of, of AI to make things uh, more efficient, more effective, and to get us to a paradigm of delivering value-based care. Well, that's an ideal situation, and I hope we will get there. And I think technology can definitely help with that. Um, would, it, is it, would this be possible conversation, let's say, five years ago? I'm going into generative AI and all the things that happen lately. I mean, I, I think so, but we have different set of opportunities today because the technology stack is, is very different. Having patients engaged in their own care is, is one really important element 
um, of value-based care. Um, and so as you think about the tools and the technology and how we interact with patients, you know, I'll, I'll see a patient, uh, you know, I'm going to be in the, the operating room tomorrow. Um, they'll spend uh, a little bit of time with me having surgery. I'm an anesthesiologist, so they'll be asleep for most of it. Um, but my direct interaction with the patient is a tiny, tiny fraction, right, of their life. Um, and then there's the rest of patients walking around, being at work, being at home. Um, and the way that we can use tools to help keep patients on a journey to health, uh, help them engage and take ownership um, of uh, any medical problems that they have, um, is becoming increasingly possible through the use of technologies and apps and algorithms that allow us to have much, much more high touch and interaction with patients in ways that just, just wasn't possible five, 10 years ago. Yeah, so here is like a personal way that I see things. If I can do a video call with my uh, specialist, with my doctor, I'm happy to do that. I sure. save a lot of time. Yep. I don't have to drive in on the 101, the 405 here in LA. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's good value. And you can do <laughs> it in your PJs. Of- <laughs> exactly. On top of that, you you still have that interaction. I think we got used yeah. to, to do some of this thing, work remotely nowadays. But the question may come into are the tools are the tools available for everyone uh, or when they will be so that you know you don't even have to really go to to the lab. I mean, I don't even know if we're ever going to get there where you can yeah. pinch your finger and do your <laughs> blood test at home. There are companies that will send you a kit in the mail that you can do some of the testing at home and, and send it in. Um, hasn't really hit scale yet. What I'll tell you, though, is is it comes down to the tools uh, in the technology, in, in, in the devices, in the apps. And um, we're seeing a lot of movement in this space. Um, I talk to physicians all over the country. AMA does a lot of survey work. We know a lot about physician priorities for the adoption of digital health tools. Um, and, and the fundamental priorities are actually quite simple. Physicians want to know, does the thing work? If I buy something, I put it in my practice, I integrate it in my workflow, is it actually going to live up to its expectations? And and, and that actually is, is a foundational question because we, we have had a lot of hype around a lot of tools that have just not lived up right, to um, real-world experience. And the case in point is the electronic health record, the bane of most physicians' existence, the number one pain point for at least a decade running because of usability problems, lack of interoperability, adding lots of checkboxes and clicks uh, without really adding a lot of value. We can't let that happen if we want people to actually adopt and use these tools. The second issue is, you know, who's paying for it, you know? If I go through the acquisition cost of uh, acquiring a tool or an algorithm, you know, is insurance covering it for for the patient, for me as the practice? You know, those payment issues are, are, are obviously important. Um, the third issue is what happens when something goes wrong? Um, you know, if, if there's a failure of, of an algorithm that's embedded in a device, a medical device, um, if, uh, you know, something's not anticipated with a patient, uh, who's on the hook? Um, and, and our perspective, obviously, is that there's likely to be shared liability in most circumstances that's appropriate. You know, if, if I use a tool or an algorithm or an app as directed, either as a patient um, or a practitioner, um, you know, in many cases, it probably is the manufacturer, the developer, the implementer who ought to hold most of the liability 
Um, but those questions are actually unsettled. Uh, and there are federal proposals that actually have indicated that um, it may not be what you would expect it to be that, that we need to work through. Um, and the last question is, does it actually work in my practice? And, and you know, I, I see adult patients and, and I, 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 will, I will own it. I've made this mistake. I, you know, I, I'm an informaticist. I've developed algorithms and tools and technology. Um, and I once, uh, back in the day, you know, 15 years ago, developed some software. And the thing, they teach you this in medical school, um, you know, children are just not little adults. They're different. Um, and they behave differently. The workflows are different. And, um, and I, I completely ignored that. Um, and we deployed our software in a children's hospital that we developed in the adult hospital, and it just failed miserably. Uh, the workflows were different. We didn't anticipate that. And it was an important lesson that I learned, and I should have known better. Um, and we see this problem over and over and over where technologies are developed in, in one setting, um, in one healthcare system, in one region, in one population. And then when we try to scale them to all patients, uh, they, just don't, they just don't hold up. So those are the real questions that the physicians want to know. Does it work? Is it covered by insurance? What happens when something goes wrong? Does it actually work in my practice? Um, and we want to make sure that we, as an AMA, uh, connect entrepreneurs and innovators directly to physicians, directly to doctors, so that as we're getting new technologies brought into the marketplace, um, that we have uh, excitement uh, for tools that, that actually work. And, and there are a lot of ways that we're doing this. We're doing this through our Physician Innovation Network. We're doing this through work in venture capital, a technology incubator that we created in Silicon Valley called Health 2047 that's spinning off companies. Uh, and obviously, there'll be a lot of conversation at the show um, about how do we do this in a way that makes sense for patients. Yeah, that's uh, th that's the point. It's it's like other field. I mean, like autonomous car. I feel like mm -hmm. the technology is there. Yep. All the conversation I have about that, but we haven't kind of pulled the plug on on say, okay, we're comfortable to have these cars on the road. We know that they're at least good enough or better maybe than us to avoid yeah. accidents. Well, Marco, looks at I, I fly all the time as I as I travel <laughs> around the country and. Um, you know, there's still a pilot sitting in the front of the plane, and yep. and and we have autopilot, not just for in-flight, but you know, autonomous takeoff landing. Those yep. those systems exist. There's a reason that we haven't, as a society, said that that we want that to be in command and control. Um, and I think we have a similar trust issue in in healthcare. You know, healthcare is so personal, right? Um, you know, there's nothing more personal um, than 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 healthcare. Uh, your genetic code, disease, and illness, and health, and and we want to make sure we get it right. So, you know, our perspective on AI is is you know we ought to have a human in the loop, like the physician uh, or the healthcare team member. Um, we want to use these tools to boost capacity to move performance to that definition of value-based care, where we can focus on high quality. We can elevate the performance of our teams. We can uh, shape the patient experience to be more meaningful, more engaged, more frictionless. Um, but we need to do that in a way that obviously makes sense and works for everybody. Yeah. So let me put it from this perspective, because I like to think on put myself in the shoes of both sides, right? So you, you, you told me what on, on your side of the medical um, practice and what all the things that you guys are doing. Now, let, let's put ourselves for a second in the, in the shoes of the patient. Sure. Right? So how, how do the patient measure value or success when he adopts a new technology that you say, look, you can do it this way. You can, you can come in the office, but you can also call me from home or use this tool yeah. or how society you feel like uh, psychology of the patient need to be moved to 
started out into that and get the value of it. Yeah, well, so it's interesting, and of course, there's there's a lot of data on this. Um, but right. but the the experience of the patient is paramount, right? Um, the frustration of of as you mentioned, you know, sitting in traffic, driving to the office, people are running late. You know, you spend half a day, you know, having a thirty minute visit or a twenty minute visit or fifteen minute visit. That that is a very um, unsatisfying experience for, for a lot of patients. So using telehealth remote tools to, to solve some of those challenges is obviously a big satisfier. We see this in, in patient survey data. Um, quality, right? The, the tools ought to make things better, make things more efficient, make them higher quality so that, you know, when you go in for, for a diagnosis, because uh, you're not feeling well, that you get the right answer. And, and we ought to get the right answer more of the time than before using the tools that we have that can support diagnostic decision making or or imaging or or procedures you know robots and endoscopies and all these things that are starting to incorporate more and more um, ai uh, and other technologies um, and then cost right we want things to be you know lower cost out of pocket to the patient and you know unfortunately that has been a challenge you know healthcare costs continue to go up um, but that's a driver of the whole value-based care movement is to try to create the efficiencies that can ultimately lower costs for patients, uh, which are becoming unmanageable and, and, and unsustainable and a, and a growing portion of uh, domestic GDP. Yeah, so you, you mentioned how we have already been living with AI for a long time, sure. except that uh, you didn't know. It's backstage. It's <laughs> kind of like I would use the Disney World or Disneyland example, everything is pretty, but there is a lot going on backstage to yeah. make things pretty and, and working well. And we don't care as a user, yeah. we don't really care. Well, in, in fact, that's happening in healthcare today. So 40% of US medical practices use AI, but it's the unsexy stuff. It's supply chain right. management, it's scheduling, it's it's dealing with insurance companies and prior authorization, things on the back end that aren't really visible, um, really visible to, to physicians or, or or patients, the, the exciting stuff, right? You know, when you, you walk in and you have a stethoscope that helps me hear the heart sounds and, and understand what I'm listening to. Um, if there's something that is, uh, you know, one in a hundred thousand, uh, you know, condition, Th those are applications, which I, th I think people think about when they think about AI and AI tools, they're coming quickly and, and, and we want them, we need them. Um, but the place that AI is in use today is that sort of stuff in the background layers you're kind of describing with the Disneyland example. Right. How about in research, though? I mean, I, I talk a lot about AI in terms of being the first layer of aggregating data and yeah. doing the job that would take a very long time to an individual. But then the individual is still obviously in the loop, the professional yep. in the loop to make that example. Well, you, you look at what, what the pharmaceutical industry is doing using AI tools around drug discovery, right, for, you know, rare diseases, common diseases, and they're, they're really exciting examples where companies have been able to very, very quickly identify drug targets, therapeutic targets, protein structures um, in ways that would never have been feasible before on a much, much reduced time frame at much, much reduced cost. So, uh, and there are lots of examples across biomedical research where, where this is starting to happen. So there are definitely research applications that will impact human health uh, in, in the near term. Very cool. Let's spend the last couple of minutes talking a little bit about CS. You said you're excited about going there. I don't know if it's your first one. I'm assuming it's not, but you tell me. And kind of like the, the whole ecosystem of a, an event that, yes, it has all the different uh, the healthcare, the space, the food, and the robotics, cars. I mean, there is everything that the whole society is represented there. 
what's the value for you of an event like these or a similar event like VivaTech in Europe, for example? Yeah, well, I, I'm certainly excited about it. I've only been virtually. I've never been to Vegas. Okay. So uh, look out. Here I come. Super, super <laughs> happy to join 150,000 of my closest friends yep. uh, that week. No, it's it's exciting. And, and, and I think it's it's so important. Uh, and I'm delighted that CS is, is really highlighting digital health as a part of the show this year. Uh, and I think in an elevated way, uh, because it's foundational to so much of what's happening uh, in technology development and so critical uh, to obviously uh, society. Uh, without health, we, we have nothing. And it's such a growing part of the economy um, that understanding how do we get tools that actually work? How do we have development cycles? How do we connect entrepreneurs and innovators to healthcare in ways that lead to better products uh, with better go-to-market results um, is absolutely essential. And I know that CS is going to contribute to that in a, in a really productive way, uh, certainly through our panel, uh, but, but through other activities as well. And that's exactly the last uh, call we're going to have. It's to remember that you will be leading that panel. It's called Digital Health Enabling the New Era of Value-Based Care, Wednesday, January 10, uh, 2 to 2.40 p.m. And uh, the North Level 2, I'm sure you already forgot about what I just said, but there will be <laughs> links in, <laughs> in the episode notes with the way to get in touch uh, with uh, Jesse and especially to know more about his presence there at, uh, at CES uh, this year, which again, it will be happening Las Vegas 9th to the 12th of January. Uh, Jesse, great conversation. I would love to have you back and with more time and, and talk about other things the way that uh, healthcare and society are so intertwined and uh, a very, very important uh, topic. Thank you for your time. Very Thanks, much. Marco. Appreciate it. Bye. All right. Take care, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our On Location Conversation. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.